Today, we are visiting the Judean desert, the wilderness. Now, I just want to say that we've already got 26 people signed up to go to Israel. We're really excited about that. And there's a number who have said they want to come, and they haven't got their name on the list yet. I need you to get your name on the list as soon as possible. Through the course of the summer months, we have been visiting a number of different places in Israel. And we've tried to help you understand the significance of each of these places And this morning, I want to talk to you about the Judean desert. And I'm going to say this to you, that it is probably the bleakest place I have ever visited in my life. And yet, and yet, there is something very significant and very powerful about this wasteland. It was a place where the children of Israel visited. If you're familiar with the story of Moses and the children of Israel being delivered from Egypt, then you're familiar with the story of how the people of Israel wandered through the Judean desert, through the wilderness, for 40 years. And it was in the wilderness that God miraculously provided for them. What did he provide them with? Manna, that's right. And basically the word manna means, what is it? And so for 40 years they ate, what is it? And God provided for them and took care of them. And the Bible says that as they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, listen to this, this is amazing, their shoes didn't wear out and neither did their clothes. Now, where do you go to a store like that where your shoes won't wear out and your clothes won't wear out? I'm going to tell you where you go. You go to Jesus. You go to God and he provides for you. He takes care of you. He meets your needs. Well, we return now in the New Testament to the wilderness, to the place where Jesus was tempted. Look at the scripture verse here in Matthew 4, verses 1 to 3, and it says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry, and during that time the devil came. During that time, the devil came. Before Jesus ever did any preaching, before he did any healing, before he did any miracles, before he fed the 5,000 or walked on water or raised the dead, before he did anything, he was tempted. The Bible says that Jesus was baptized and then he came up out of the water and then was led immediately by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted. And a lot of people have read that, and they don't really know the significance of that. Why did Jesus have to go through that? Well, you're going to find out this morning, and I hope, I hope that you will feel very encouraged and feel excited once again about your faith. If if maybe you've lost the fire, lost the excitement, or lost the joy of your faith, I pray that today will be a turning point. But here's what needed to happen. What needed to happen is that what Adam and Eve did in paradise, Jesus needed to do undo in the wilderness. Can I say that to you again? The way that sin entered into the world in Genesis chapter 3, chapter three when Adam and Eve were uh, tempted by Satan, so now Jesus, before he can preach the gospel, before he can do any of his miracles, he also must face the tempter. But this time he must win. He must win. So let's take a look quickly at this picture of the wilderness. There it is. 
It's, um, it's a bleak place. And there's nothing. There's just not, there's nothing growing. There's just nothing. It's just dust and rock. It may as well be the moon. The only thing that's there is air to breathe. And the Bible see, says that Jesus was fasting and was going without anything to eat. And there, when he was very weak physically, he was put in a position where he was tempted. Now, how many here today have ever been tempted in their life? Okay, so there's a few people have. The rest are liars. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, uh, it's just joking, don't be offended. The fact of the matter is, is that all of us are tempted. Anybody here uh, ever given to temptation? It's just me and a few others. Yeah, see, your pastor, the one that's paid to be good, even I fail. And I know that comes as a great shock to many people. But the fact of the matter is, is we're all equally in need of God's grace. Amen? Amen. So here's Jesus in the wilderness, and he is weak physically, and he's in a position now where he is being tempted by Satan. Now, I want you to know something. This is not the first time that we encounter this ancient enemy, the devil. In fact, we find that the devil comes to disrupt the plans of God in Genesis chapter 3. You remember the story. Adam and Eve were in the garden. And you remember that Satan, speaking through the serpent, says to Eve, God didn't really tell you not to eat that fruit. And so the rest is history. You know the story. Eve, of course, enters into a discussion with Satan. And the next thing you know, she's having a bite and she's giving it to her husband, saying, here, eat this. And that was the beginning of wives nagging husbands. And we find Adam and Eve refusing to believe God and do what he says. We find Adam and Eve in a position where they are now disobeying God. Now, I've got I to tell you something this morning. There was only one restriction in paradise. There was only one restriction in paradise. Can we have a picture of that paradise, please? There's paradise. I took that when I was there. I don't know what paradise really looks like. I'm guessing that it's lush, it's green, it's well-watered. I believe that it was a comfortable place, temperature just right. From the wilderness, Jesus comes to bring us paradise once again. This is what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, listen to this. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God says, look, the whole thing's yours. Do what you want. Have fun. It's yours. Eat anything you want. In fact, God says, I'm giving you dominion over all the earth. It's yours. The earth belongs to you, Adam and Eve. But there's one tree, God says, that you must not eat of. It's the only exception. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, because on that day, you'll certainly die. So go, have fun. Have a good time. Enjoy the paradise that I've created for you. But Adam and Eve refused to believe God, and they refused to do what God says. 
And on that moment, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, that's when they were given their eviction notice. And the Bible tells us that they were driven out of paradise, never to return. Paradise, that place called the Garden of Eden. Now here's what I want you to know today. Is that Adam and Eve being evicted from the Garden of Eden were also under a curse. And I don't have time to get into that today, but let me just say this to you. That the curses that God had to put upon them because of their disobedience meant that now, rather than enjoying paradise, they were enjoying a wilderness. Or if you want to put it in the vernacular, hell on earth. And some of us here today are experiencing that very thing. We're experiencing hell on earth. In fact, there's a world around us that's experiencing hell on earth. And what I want you to know today is that the gospel of Jesus Christ that we preach, the gospel, the good news that this church stands for, the good news that we go to Burundi and Costa Rica and to Zambia and around the world telling people about, the good news is this, is that the wilderness, the hell that you are in now can be reversed in Jesus' name. You can come back to paradise. How many would like to enjoy paradise once again? Hallelujah. I know I do. I know I want it. And that, my friends, is why Jesus needed to come to this earth. Now, I want you to know that we sometimes don't understand God. We don't understand the workings of God. And sometimes we feel angry at God because we think, God, where are you? And how could you allow this to happen to me? If there was a God, how many have heard this? If there was a God, he wouldn't allow that. Anybody ever hear that before? Well, I'm going to solve that mystery for you today because some of you have always wondered that. You know, if there, if there really is a God, how could these things happen? And some of you are saying, you know, I, I like a lot of things that Pastor Allen says, but, you know, there's a lot of things I don't get. And so, therefore, you know, I'll believe most of what he says, but I'm not going to believe the full thing. Well, today I'm going to see if I can solve some of these problems for you. But what you need to know today is that the paradise that was lost can be regained in Jesus' name. Back in 19, or 1667, a, man by the, a poet by the name of John Milton, some of you may have heard of him, he published a book called Paradise Lost. And basically, it's over 10,000 lines. It's, a, it's the, probably the biggest poem ever written. Over 10,000 lines describing the process of Adam and Eve being given it all and then losing it all. It tells a story of how we lost it all. And so I want to show you today how you've lost it all and how you can regain it. Ready? Paradise lost. Let's talk about that. How do we go from paradise to a wasteland? How do we go from things being good to things being terrible? How do we go from the lusciousness of the garden to the wasteland, which is for many of you, your life right now. Jesus said this, John chapter 10, trying to explain to his disciples who he was and why he'd come, he said this, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I've come to reintroduce you to paradise. That's essentially what he's saying. 
Now, it's not a physical paradise, but it's a paradise in your mind and in your heart, a paradise in your marriage, a paradise in your family. Are you getting this? A paradise at work. Here's what Jesus wants for you, my friends. Jesus wants you to enjoy the abundant life. He wants you to enjoy this life. Regardless of the circumstances of this world, regardless of the, your physical circumstances, God says you can have it, the Garden of Eden, right here in your heart. You can have peace. You can have joy. Jesus also tells us what Satan does. Jesus is the, is the giver of life, abundant life, new life, eternal life. But then he describes Satan. And he says, he says, Satan, the robber, he comes to rob and what? And kill and destroy. Has anybody experienced any of the above? You know what I'm talking about. And this is what makes us wonder where God is when we're in the midst of the destruction, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the robbery and the destruction. Here's what you need to know, and a lot of people don't get this. So this is going to be a turning point for many people this morning. Remember what I said just a few moments ago. God gave dominion of the earth to whom? Adam and Eve. God said, I'm giving you dominion of the earth. It's for you to rule. It's for you to rule over. It's for you to govern. You have dominion. You have charge over this earth. And in the Garden of Eden, here's what happened. Adam and Eve took their dominion of this earth and they handed it over to Satan. And the rest, as they say, is history. We read Jesus telling us in John chapter 12, verse 31, that Satan is in fact the ruler of this world. Jesus confirms this. The apostle Paul confirms it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, when he calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. So here's what a lot of people don't know, and you need to get this. In order for you to understand and interpret the workings and the ways of God in this world, how many know today that this world is not heaven? This world is not our home. Say it with me. This world is not my home. Say it. This world is not my home. We're looking for a better place. I don't, I don't want to spend eternity on this earth as it is. Do you? And here's the ancient message that somehow in the last 20 or 30 years has been forgotten or has been twisted. This world is not our home. We don't belong here. Why? Because we belong to a better place called eternity. And God has us on this earth for his purposes and for his reasons. And your job and my job as a believer is to submit to the will and the purpose of God on this earth. But until that day when we are reunited with our Lord, while we are still on this earth, God says this, I want you to experience the abundant life here and now. It won't be a physical paradise. It'll be an internal paradise. And you've got to understand that. Because some people have got a very childish and very immature understanding of who God is. They believe that once you become a Christian, you got no more problems anymore. Anybody think that? Don't put your hand up. Anybody think that? 
become a Christian and that's it. No more problems anymore. Well, sign me up for that religion. God never makes that promise. You become a, pro- you become a Christian and, and you're going to have a, just a, a, a flood of money come your way. Well, there's some preachers that teach that. I don't. In fact, I had somebody uh, who's actually not here anymore, and you'll understand why, who got very angry with me one day because I singled out one of the prosperity teachers who actually teaches this. They vehemently disagreed with me. I'm going to tell you this. If you know your Bible, if you read it from beginning to end, you cannot support a prosperity theology. It's just not here. But I'm going to tell you what is here. There's a paradise theology. A paradise in your heart and in your life. A paradise in your heart that points you to the eternal paradise, which is with God and his son, Jesus Christ. Now, you need to understand that today. There's many believers who die for their faith, who are martyred. And it's according to God's will. Now, understand this, my friends. Listen to me. You've got to get this. Until that day that Jesus comes again. In just a few weeks, you're going to hear Marilyn Wellick talk about Armageddon. And that's another place that we'll be visiting on our trip to Israel. Uh, Hopefully, the battle will not be happening at that time. (laughs) But we're going to be talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. On that day that Jesus comes to this earth, once and for all, Satan will be vanquished. He, his power will be destroyed once and for all. And not only now will Jesus reign in the hearts of his people, but he will reign over this whole world. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. That's what's coming, folks. And it's in this book. All you have to do is pick it up and read it. Now, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is the ruler of this world. The Bible says that his name is Satan, which means opposer. He is also given the name devil, which means slanderer or liar, accuser of the brethren. Has anybody ever experienced any of the above? You need to know something today. You have an enemy, an enemy of your life, of your family, of your marriage, and he wants to destroy you because he hates your guts. Why does Satan hate you so much? Because some of you are saying, I haven't done anything to him. I haven't hurt him. I haven't offended him. Why is he bothering me? Why does he try to destroy me? Well, by the way, if you haven't done anything to offend him, shame on you. Our job is to go into all the world and do what? Tell them about Jesus Christ. Our job is to go into this, all this world and tell them about the Christ who wants to bring paradise back to the hearts of broken and hurting people, people who are living in a wasteland, in a wilderness, in a hell on earth. That's why this team has gone to Burundi. We're going to bring a bit of paradise to them. We're going to bring a bit of paradise to them to prepare them for the eternal paradise, the place that we call heaven. I'm going to say this to you right now, because in our day and age, you talk about paradise and heaven and the devil and Satan, everybody thinks, oh, mythology, (laughs) airy-fairy stuff. You know, pastor, just talk to us about, you know, some good psychological, psychological principles that we can live by. Listen, listen, listen. You're in a church. And this is what the church is all about. It's about telling you the truth of things that you don't know about. 
to tell you those things that are of the supernatural realm. So Satan hates your guts. And you want to know why he hates you? This might come as a surprise to you. He hates you because God loves you. Would you turn to the person beside you this morning and say, God really loves you? Would you go ahead and tell that person because they may never have heard that before. Okay, that's only four words, people. It shouldn't take that long. <laughs> God really loves you. Now tell that same person, Satan really hates you. Go ahead, tell them that. Yeah. Okay, that's enough, that's enough. You get, the, you get the drift. Okay, listen, listen. Satan hates you because God loves you. Do you understand that? Satan hates God. And the, he knows the only way that he can hurt God is by hurting God's beloved. And today you are God's beloved. God loves you. In fact, the Bible says that God loves you so much that he sent his only son to take the penalty for your sin. Folks, Jesus didn't deserve to die on that cross. You and I did. Let's admit it, right? You and I deserve to die, to hang on that cross. You and I deserve to be punished for our sin. But God said, no, you know what? I love, I love these beloved children of mine so much. I love this world so much, I'm going to send my son to die for them. Folks, this is why Jesus had to go to the wilderness. Because what we needed, folks, listen to this, is we needed somebody who could actually obey God. Somebody who would actually believe God and do what he says. We needed somebody perfect to die in our place. Folks, this is the old-fashioned gospel. This is the gospel that has been taught now for 2,000 years. You're hearing it again on August the 4th, 2013. A gospel, that, a, a teaching, a, a, a good news that has been taught for 2,000 years. That's why Jesus had to go to the wilderness. He had to prove that he could do what Adam and Eve could not do. In fact, that's why the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. Because the second Adam did what the first Adam could not do. The first Adam could not believe God and do what he says. The second Adam did. And so here's Jesus, our Lord, facing down the enemy. Now, what you need to understand today is that Adam and Eve refused to believe God. And they refused to do what he says. Can I just remind everybody today of what faith is? Because there's a lot of definitions of it, and there's a lot of false teaching about it. But I'm going to tell you what it is in a nutshell. You ready? Faith, very simply, is this. It's believe God and do what he says. Could you say it with me? Believe God and do what he says. Now, here's, here's what you need to know. Every time you refuse to believe God or every time you believe God and refuse to do what he says or every time you refuse to believe God and refuse to do what he says, here's what happens. You basically walk out of paradise and into the wilderness. Do you get this? And some of you are in trouble today in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, so whatever your situation, you're in trouble today in relationships, 
You're in trouble because you refuse to believe God and do what he says. Essentially, what's happened to you is that you have lost paradise. In fact, it could be said, maybe for you, that life is hell. I'm telling you this morning how you got there. I'm telling you how you messed it up. I'm telling you how you left it all behind. I'm telling you how you've ruined your marriage, ruined your family, ruined your relationship with your kids. I'm telling you how to, because you refuse to do it God's way. Now, some people think that God is some kind of a cosmic party pooper. You've heard me say that before. Just kind of wants to rain on the party, wants to steal your fun. Folks, quite the opposite. God has given us instruction and guidance, and he's told us what to do and how to live in this life. Why? Because he wants us to enjoy paradise. He doesn't want us to go through the hell that you're going through today. Some of us have lost paradise because we simply have refused to do what God wants. Well, I'm so happy today that... This is not the end of the story. Now I want to tell you how you can get paradise back into your home. Anybody interested in knowing about how to get paradise back into your life, into your family, into your marriage, into your finances, here's what you got to do. You've got to believe God and do what he says. Obey In fact, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You will keep my, you will do what I say. If you love me, you'll do what I say. Now listen to me. This is what Christianity is all about. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you want to get that abundant life that Jesus is talking about, or as I've been putting it this morning, if you want to get that paradise into your marriage, into your family, into your finances, into your job, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to start believing God and doing what he says. The problem is with with so many people is that they don't really know what God says. You see, Pastor, I'd do what he says if I knew what he wanted me to do, if he would speak to me. Ah, (laughs) gotcha. You see this book here? This book is called a Bible, because some of you maybe don't recognize this because it's been so long since you picked one up. This book, very simply put, if you want a simple definition for it, is this. This book is God speaking to me. My Bible, every time I read it, is God speaking to me. Would you say that with me? My Bible is God speaking to me. Say it again. My Bible is God speaking to me. Now here's the thing. When you first became a Christian, and some of you will identify with this, when you first became a Christian, everything was fantastic. How many remember those first days of becoming a Christian? I mean, I do. Those were exciting days. They were thrilling. I just became a Christian. Everything's going well. Talk about paradise. I mean, my paradise was the most amazing paradise of all. I, I felt like I was floating. I, I, was, I was walking on air. It was so exciting. And that's the way it is when you first become a Christian. Why? Because you are a baby. Now, here's the sad thing. is that A lot of people don't ever get past the baby stage 
And then they wonder why things don't work out the way they expect them to. I'm going to tell you why. Because God never intended that you and I remain babies. God's intention is that you and I grow up. I don't want to grow up. I like being a baby. I like being waited on. I like everybody taking care of me. I like everybody cooing and poking me in the belly. (laughs) Pastor, don't ask anything of me. Let me be the baby in the church. Okay, here's the thing. There are babies in the church, and there's a lot of people that are just, I've known them for 20 years, and they still haven't grown up spiritually. I've known people who have been in the church many, many more years than that and still are in exactly the same place they were when I first met them. Now, look, I'm not saying that to shame anybody. I'm saying, it, I'm saying this to say this. It's time that you stopped just taking milk. It's time for you now to start eating the steak, which is the Word of God. It's time that you start getting nourished spiritually that you begin to dig into the word of God and find out what he says and start doing what he says. Because there's a lot of people who go to church, the only time they ever read scripture is when I put it up on the screen. Oh, there's a verse. Is that from the Bible? What what book of the Bible is that from? Hezekiah what? (laughs) God wants to speak to you folks. And he doesn't want you to remain a baby. He wants you to grow up and begin to mature. And the way that you're going to mature is by making sure that you are reading this book so that you know what God says and you can believe it and then do what it says. So many immature believers, so many people who never read their Bible. In fact, I know today there's some of you who haven't picked up your Bible for months. You haven't read it. And some of you will say, well, you know, I try to read it, but it doesn't really speak to me. It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really, I don't get it. Look at, I don't buy that one because I was reading my Bible when I was eight and I was getting it. In fact, I read through the book of Revelation and I was so blessed and so excited after reading the book of Revelation. If I can read it at age eight and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart and encourage my heart, then guess what? You who are in your 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, then God can speak to you too. But here's what you got to do. you got to open that book up and you got to say, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart by your spirit. Because here's what you need to know. This faith of ours, it's a supernatural faith. You don't belong to a club here, people. You don't, this is not t- Tony Robbins' hour when we listen to CDs or tapes or whatever and get, and get life principles. No, we've got God interacting with us, speaking to us, and quickening his word to our hearts and to our minds so that we understand it and we can live by it. We're talking about the supernatural here today, folks. I could say, you know, go to the chapters and get, go get those self-help books on how to be, you know, how to, how to lose weight and how to have a better mind and how to do this and how to have a better marriage. Look at folks, listen, you need the help of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you want paradise in your heart and mind, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to start growing up because here's what God's going to do to you. He's going to allow you when you first become a believer to experience paradise, but then if you don't keep growing, then he's going to allow you to drift into the wilderness. 
and some of you have drifted into the wilderness. Now, by the grace of God, he's here today to call you back into the paradise. So those of you who haven't picked up your Bible for months and months, I'm not condemning you, and the Spirit of God is not condemning you today, but I'm here today to encourage you to start to grow up. I'm here to encourage you to get your Bible out, to start reading it, and allow the Spirit of God to transform you. Now you say, Pastor Alan, these are good ideas, but why should I believe you? Well, that hurts. But you need to do that. You need to ask those questions. And I'll tell you why. Are you ready for this? There are a lot of false teachers out there. There's a lot of false teachers who mean well. Your job and my job is to be like what Paul called the noble Bereans. Anybody ever read that in their Bible? Anybody ever hear of the noble Bereans? They were not like the Thessalonians. And again, if you haven't read your New Testament, you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. But I'll tell you, just to be nice. The Apostle Paul traveled to the city of Thessalonia, or Thessalonica, and he taught them there, and they listened and whatever. You know, yeah, that's good. Gave him a hand. Well done. Great. And then Paul went to a place called Berea. And I've been to both places. It was just a little bit north of Thessaloniki. And these noble Bereans, as Paul called them, they weren't swallowing anything that Paul was saying unless they checked it by this book. Okay, so here's what I'm giving everybody here permission to do. I'm giving you permission not to swallow everything I say. I'm giving you permission to pull out your Bible to see if Pastor Allen is getting this stuff right. You've got to do that. And so here's what it says. Then Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. And why did Jesus say no? Because wouldn't that be a good thing? Here's here's Jesus hungry after 40 days in the wilderness, and all of a sudden the devil reminds him, hey, you got the power to turn rocks into bread. And Jesus says, no. Why? Well, Jesus says, because the scriptures say. Or as it says maybe in your version, it is written. No, I will not do that because the scriptures say. Now folks, listen to me. I'm giving you the most powerful tool that you are ever going to have outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. No, the scripture says. Have you been able to say no to the devil? the one who wants to destroy your life, listen to me. You're going to start talking right back to him and say, no, I'm not going to do that because the scriptures say. And what do the scriptures say? People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And Satan took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God then prove it by jumping off 
of this temple. And then this, you got to understand this. The devil then tries to pull a fast one on Jesus. He tries to take the Bible and throw it right back at Jesus. Now, something you have to understand, everybody. You ready for this? Satan, remember, his name is devil, which means what? Liar. Opposer. So what does he do? He takes the very scripture that Jesus is using, and he says this to, say, to, to Jesus. He says, uh, he, God will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, and you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Now that sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Except that Satan has done what? He's twisted the truth. He's twisted the scripture. Listen to me, folks. If you are following twisted scripture and twisted truth, then I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You are going to be in the wilderness. So here's the thing. If you think you're following, you think you're doing it all right, but yet you're still in a wilderness, there's a good chance that you're following a lie. It's a good thing. It's a good good possibility that you're not on track. So here's what what Jesus says back to Satan. He says this. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. So here's the thing. Because Jesus knows the scriptures so well, Satan cannot even use the scriptures against him. Now some of you are sitting here today, well, how am I supposed to, how am I ever going to combat and overcome the enemy? I mean, I mean, the devil probably knows the scriptures better than I do. Well, can I just remind you of this? God in his mercy and his goodness to you will not allow you to be tested beyond your ability. Hallelujah. But what is, why does God allow this? I'm going to tell you why. Because he wants you to grow up. He wants you to mature. He wants you to become skillful in the use of Scripture. That's why you got to read this book every day. Well, then Satan tries again. He's, next it says in verse 8, Next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan says this. Remember, Satan is the ruler of this world, so he can say what he's going to say here. Listen. Satan says, I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. Now, Jesus is thinking, wow, you know what? That's pretty cool. Adam and Eve handed it all over to Satan, the dominion of the world. Now, now Satan is offering to, to give it back. And all Jesus has to do is what? Bow down. And it's all, it can all be Jesus again. But Jesus is not stupid. Ready for this? This is my favorite part. Um, actually, I want you to put this verse up, and I want us to read it together because it's fantastic. Read it with me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now listen, listen to me, folks. Jesus has set for us an example that we should follow in his steps. This is why you've got to be in this book called the Bible, which is God speaking to me. You've got to be in this book because this is where your power comes from. And then you could say along with Jesus, get out of here, Satan. Go to hell where you belong. For the scriptures say, for the scriptures say. And look at that, then the devil, the devil left them. What can, what can the devil do against the truth? Nothing. 
What can the devil do against the truth? Nothing. And look at that. The devil went away, and then the angels came and took care of Jesus. Folks, listen to me. This is available to you and to me. You can enjoy paradise, or you can go on living in that wilderness, that life which is really like a hell. You can know the joy of walking with Jesus and have that peace in your heart. And you could see your family mended, your marriage mended. You can see everything fixed by Jesus. But what you've got to do is you've got to learn what it means to believe God and do what he says. Can I encourage you, if you haven't been in your book lately, that's what the Bible is. That's what it means. It means the book. The book. That's what it means. If you haven't been in the book, your book, let this be the day. You say, Pastor Al, where should I start? Well, start in Leviticus. <laughs> if you want to get discouraged. <laughs> if you want to be encouraged, then I would recommend that you start in the book of Acts. Start in John Start in any one of the epistles, and your heart will be encouraged. I'm reading in Ephesians right now. Oh, my goodness. I've read that book I don't know how many times, and it still thrills me. It still teaches me. It still excites me. It still challenges me. What are you reading? Some of you got yourself in trouble today because you just haven't been doing what Jesus has told you to do. Let me share a little story with you, and then we'll close. When I first started the ministry, it was very exciting. Uh, I just felt like no way could life be any better than this. I had nothing but the best intentions. You know what I'm talking about? You had good intentions towards everyone. You want the best for God's people. You want the best for the church. I was working probably up to 16 hours a day, lots of times, but I never saw it as working. I just saw it as just serving God, and I was so thrilled and so delighted and so on fire, and God was giving me revelation from this book, and I was learning, and I was growing, and I was devouring this book. But then someone came along, a major leader in my life at that time, someone that I had to answer to, and this person, and I didn't understand it at the time, but I understand it now. This person became jealous of me, jealous of the relationships that I had with the people in the church. They were jealous of the easy way that I had with people. I love people, and people knew it, and they responded to it. And uh, these leaders became very jealous. And when I spoke, when I preached, I, it was an easy way of preaching it engaged people, and they were jealous. And so they started to make life really, really miserable for me. In fact, it got so bad that I, I, I knew it wasn't an accident. I know it wasn't, it wasn't coincidence or by chance. I knew that these people were really trying to hurt me. They were trying to discourage me. In fact, everything I did was discouragement, discouragement, discouragement. I sat down the other day and was was just adding up the number of kids that actually went to Bible school during that time that I ministered in this place. And I think I've counted over 30 kids gone off to Bible school. It was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal work of God. And rather than these 
these older leaders encouraging me and being excited with me, they were jealous. And they made life hell. And guess what happened? Rather than bringing it to the Lord in prayer and forgiving, I allowed a root of bitterness in my heart. Now, I know as I look out here today that every single one of you has gone through this at some point in your life. And if you have, just sort of like nod at me just to encourage me to keep going. Yeah, should I keep going? Yeah, okay, you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. I was so angry. And you know, here's what began to happen. It's like every single person I was with, I wanted to discuss the issue with that person. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We're, you know, oh, hi, good to see you, Julie. Well, do you know what happened to me? And then they would sit there. And you could just see it. Over time, you began to recognize that everybody I was talking to, I was talking about the same issues and rehashing the same old garbage over and over again. So finally, it got to the point where some of my dearest and closest friends, they weren't returning my calls, and they weren't really too interested in going for coffee to hear about the situation. The situation. One more time. They didn't want it. And I was feeling left out. I was feeling lonely. I was feeling even more discouraged. I think, man, God, is everybody turning against me? Does everybody hate me? Nobody loves me. I'm going to go and eat some worms. (laughs) I mean, I was starting to have a pity party. I had balloons and I had hats and and nobody showed up for my pity party. Maybe that's you today. And you wonder why your life is hell right now. I'm going to tell you something right now. Jesus does not suggest that you forgive. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Forgive so that God can forgive you. So there I am on my knees before God, crying as, you know, you know how you are when you're a child. It's not fair, not fair, God. How could you allow this to happen? I'm the one that was wronged. I'm the one that gave my all. I'm the one that did my best. I'm the one that shared. I'm the one that outgave. I did everything right, God, and yet I'm the one that's being punished. It's not fair. And God's, I'm imagining God saying, are you finished? Are you done with the little pity party? Alan, I want you to believe me and do what I say. And in that moment, on my knees, very reluctantly, I forgave these people. And God said, good. Now write them a letter. What? (laughs) I forgave them. Isn't that good enough? No, God says, write them a letter and apologize to them. What? You want me to apologize to them? Yes, Alan, you apologize to them for your bad attitude towards them. But God, they offended me. They hurt me. They did me wrong. God said, that's my problem. That's not yours. You don't have control over anybody else. All you have control over is yourself. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I know that that was a turning point for me. If I had not done what God had told me to do, I can tell you right now, I would not be standing before you today. I would not be in the ministry. But right there, 
I talk about a battle raging, and you could just hear Satan whispering in my ear, don't believe him, don't believe him, don't believe God, don't believe it. Stand up for your rights, you're in the right, they're in the wrong. You don't deserve this, you deserve better. And why bother being in the ministry anyways? Why don't you go and be, join your dad's company and become a millionaire? And there's a real choice. I knew at that moment that I was facing a turning point in my life. I could either go on to paradise or go on to the wilderness. And in that moment, I chose to do what God said. And I wrote a little letter, and I sent it to these people, and they wrote me back a letter. And you know what they said? We forgive you. <laughs> we forgive you for your bad attitude. They never apologized. They never said anything. I read that, and I was like, I started to laugh. I started to kill myself laughing. I said, God, I have learned so much of what it means to follow you and to do your will. Folks, I felt the burden lift. I was set free. I had joy in my heart once again, and it was really one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But I'm going to tell you this today. Every time you believe God and do what he says, you are free. You are in paradise. You have the abundant life. Listen, God knows what's best for us. You don't understand it. I don't understand it, but God knows. Believe God and do what he says. Say it with me. Believe God and do what he says. Now, those of you who are baby Christians, no more drinking milk. You start chewing on on steak. And if you're a vegetarian, eggplant, whatever. <laughs> Listen, you've got to get in that book, you've got to start knowing what God says, and you've got to start doing it, and your life is going to be revolutionized. You are going to experience a paradise in your life and in your marriage that you'd never experienced before. I'm telling you, go crazy on this. Devour it, eat it, enjoy it, and watch what happens to you. You're in for uh, an exciting ride, people. Would you stand with, with me right now as we pray? God, thank you. Thank you so much for the paradise that can be regained. So many of us don't understand that the power that Satan was given in the Garden of Eden, it has been taken back from him by Jesus in the wilderness so that we who are in the wilderness can go back to paradise. Hallelujah. Father, we know today that it's your will that everybody here enjoy the abundant life, but we know the only way that that can happen is if we start believing you and doing what you say. So God, as we pick up the word of God, which is really you speaking to us, we pray, Father, that you would take this book and transform us, make us into the people you want us to be so that we may bring glory to your name. And we prayed in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Now tell that person beside you, go believe God and do what he says. Go ahead, tell them that.